0: Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle and cracky it cold. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. This is Bruise and Tiny Teeth. Hey, everybody! This is Casey Getz, your host of the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Haven't really checked in to do uh, a podcast update in a while, so just wanted to touch base with everybody before we got going on today's episode and do some housekeeping stuff. Um, the practice or the uh, podcast been doing great, and I appreciate all you guys for tuning in and listening and supporting. It means a lot to me when people reach out and send messages and let me know that um, there are in fact some people and pediatric dentists getting some use out of my, you know, weekly bantering and ranting and all that good stuff. So. Um, yeah, continue to, you know, spread the good word and help me out there. Um, you know, the like literally the best thing you can do is if you find an episode you like or something hits home or you kind of enjoyed what you were listening to, just go and find that little three dots and hit the share and send it to another pediatric dentist or let somebody else know that you're kind of enjoying listening to it. Um, I don't really do anything for this podcast or really gain anything from it other than I just I get a lot of joy out of creating a good sense of collaboration here. So it does mean a lot that you guys are uh giving me some good feedback so i appreciate that um so with that being said starting in june uh i wanted to start adding in a little twist to some of the episodes um, you know i enjoy the interview style back and forth with special guests but i'm going to try to start doing a uh, something kind of fun starting in june i'm going to be doing a once a month special and we're going to call it the peto pearls power hour and basically, I want to have uh, it might be me and Dr. Nate Green, my buddy, or one of you know a, a normal con- or a regular contributor. And I wanted it to be sort of an unstructured, unscripted, um, you know, more like a rounds or what you would do if you're hanging out in the resident residency room uh, during residency, where you just kind of talk about tough cases and you know tricky pediatric cases, tough parents, weird clinical situations, that sort of thing. And I wanted it to be more interactive, so uh I am asking you guys, my listeners, to uh send me you know interesting situations interesting clinical situations questions clinical questions uh could be practice management based you know could be something specific with numbers or startup uh questions could be a tough clinical case, even if you just want to call and share it you know let us know um or let me know if you guys have any. You know, interesting cases you've had in the last week or really tough parent situations, how you handled it, uh, interesting clinical things. Maybe myself or another guest thought on a specific material or technique, something like that. Um, And I would be uh, happy to chime in there. But what we can do is I'm just going to give you guys um, an email and my cell phone number. And if you can just record a short voice snippet, you know, an audio recording uh, recording and Shoot It My Way can be anonymous. I don't really care. I just thought it'd be kind of cool to have, you know, some thoughts, comments, and questions in the pipeline from listeners to make this a little bit more interactive and fun. Um, And then, you know, I can, we can kind of share thoughts and brainstorm when we do the podcast. So anybody that, uh, you know, wants to contribute to, you know, June's Pedo Pearls Power Hour, um, you can hit me up. My cell phone number is 641-425-7279, or you can email me at C gets at Dentist dot com. That's C gets G O E T Z at troy t r o y pediatricdentist dot com. Shoot me a question. Um, you could you know email it to me, but it'd be nice to have a like a little voice snippet. Shoot that my way, and then uh, I can get that with our special guest and we can kind of go over and do our little pedo pearls power hour. Uh, Only other thing before we get rolling on today's podcast, um, my special guest Evan is awesome and he knows more about personal financial planning and money than I could hope to know even though I'm a lifelong student of it. Uh, I will say the first 10 or 15 minutes I got a little bit too into the weeds with some stock market specific stuff. Um, So that was on me. That's my fault. It might be over the head of maybe some listeners that don't do a lot of investing, but stick with the podcast because the last half has a lot of really good stuff on student loans and, um, wealth building and a whole bunch of good stuff, but just stick it out past the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes where I kind of dive into some specific stock market stuff that might not be super applicable to everybody. Um, hope you guys like the episode, shoot me some pito pearls, power hour, uh, topics, and, um, we will catch you guys for next week's episode. Thanks everybody. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to kick it off. I got to do my inaugural beer crack here. Ready?
1: Okay. <laughs> Beautiful.
0: <laughs> that got sweet it. sound. It is a sweet sound. Are you a craft beer guy?
1: Um, I am sometimes. I'm, I tend to be just local. I tend to local. kind of, I mean, I suppose the local guys are sometimes big businesses too, but I like to go with the local mm-hmm. stuff. So. Perfect.
0: Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, okay. So Today, we're going to talk some money because you're my money guy. And I, I've like, you know, I wanted to do a finance sort of podcast where we talk about some money and some taxes and, you know, uh, practice finance things. Um, and I thought of you and I thought I'm going to get you on and pick your brain on a few topics. But um, so keep in mind here, Evan, our our target listening audience who's going to be tuning into this are probably mostly pediatric dentists who are either... Um, in residency or like recently out of residency, like most of my listeners are between you know, like 26 to 35, something like that is pretty common. So a lot of associates and not just practice owners, um, which I know you, yeah. you know, your, um, your firm or whatever is more is targeted towards practice owners, but just so you kind of know your demographics, you know, who you're talking to, but um, uh, full disclosure, well, as you you know, and I work sometimes meet
1: people while they're still in school, right? <laughs> so it's a,
0: perfect. Yeah, it's a good time to get involved, right? Start them off early, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, yeah. you and and you and I. I just as a, a disclaimer to the episode, I I use you as kind of my finance guy for the practice because you know more about taxes than I ever possibly could hope to, and um, and uh, was recommended to you by a good friend. Even though I'm in Missouri and you're down in Texas. It all. And, you know, COVID has screwed this whole thing up. Um, but it, it's worked out really well. And, um, I wanted you to kind of chime in and, and give me some thoughts on some things. So do you mind kicking us off by telling, um, kind of our listening audience about, you know, um, you know, I know you're a CPA, but specifically what you do, what your business kind of entails and kind of the things that you specialize in.
1: Well, oh man, you know, you have to sit down with, uh, you know, for with me for a day to figure out what I do. Right. <laughs> so right. It's a, it's, it's, would you, would you, would you attest that it's a, a comprehensive process that we went through?
0: Yeah, I would say it's uh it's a, I don't even know how, how do you describe it? It's like, whenever you own a practice, you got to have the one guy that's like, he's your tax guy. He's the guy that looks at your numbers and says, yeah, you're doing things right. But like, just the big, somebody who looks at big picture numbers and make sure you're doing everything right. That's kind of, Excellent. Thing, but I don't I like that.
1: you. I like yeah, that. I'm big, the big picture the, numbers guy because that's, yes. that's kind of the, you know, that's how I would look at it really. I mean, uh, there's so many things we do under the umbrella of, of financial planning that, you know, we could talk about it all night, but there's, you know, we'll talk about some of those things that you're interested in tonight, you know, but there's, there's a, um, really the idea is to be somebody that can be your point person when you have those questions and can look at things from the perspective of, you know, having worked with so many practices over, you know, the better part of 20 years now in this role, it's a, uh, you know, something I can just help and uh, sit down with you and find out what's important to you. You know, it's we spent a lot of time, you know, in my meeting with you uh, kicking off that relationship was figuring out, you know, how do I give advice? I mean, there's, I, I can give different advice depending on what's important to the, the person in front of me, but you know, when uh you know when I learn a little bit about you and, and can apply that to you know how do we use your practice and you know meet your goals over the long term, I guess that's how I'd sum it up. But um mm-hmm. and you know, how, uh, financial and things, taxes you mentioned, um, you know, taxes, financial planning, investment planning, all that stuff is there. tools to get there, but we got to understand what what's best for you.
0: Right, right. And how many um how many, you're predominantly dentists? Are you all dentists? I don't know the answer to that question. Like what's your clientele yeah, in general look like? I am
1: focused on dentists. Um, you know, 95% of my practice is dentists. I've got a few other businesses, you know, mixed in, of course, since dentists have some friends in other areas sometimes that want my help, but, um, and it can be, you know, I can apply what I do to, to a lot of different businesses, but I really know dentistry, you know, so I can look at a dental practice, um, you know, and, and I meet, you know, someone who wants to work with me might come to me and, you know, when they're in in the early stages, they're in a residency or they're starting to shop for a practice to buy or a place to start up a location. And um, talk to me. Then some others come to me. You know, after working for for ten or twenty years, even. But you know, I always hope it's sooner rather than later because there's so many. You know, the, the earlier you get into that process of understanding the the best way to plan for yourself is is going to be the you know the most um, the most good we can do for you in the long run. But Um, yeah, I have practices, um, the, the makeup of my practices, you know, a a lot of general dentists, and of course I'm heavy in a lot of the specialties as well. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. have a particular, I guess I'd say I've, I've got some stronger focuses on, on pediatric dentistry. I do have a lot of those practices around the country. Um, so several in the Midwest and the East as well. And, um, and here in Texas and, and, uh, you know, my practice is really, um, you know, kind of just all over the place, um oral surgery and, uh, is, is another big area for me as well as, uh, orthodontics. So, um, mm. but you know, I have, I have plenty of good, good examples in every, uh, every category.
0: Sure. For sure. So it's, uh, I like to, yeah, that I'm glad you kind of explained things that way. Cause I, I feel like that's how you got to start these things off. It's just, making sure you demonstrate that you're not some Joe Schmo. I just pulled in off the street who doesn't (laughs) really know what he's talking about. So you, uh, you've been doing this a little while. So that's, you know, it's good to know that you work with a lot of dentists, work a lot of pediatric dentists and got a lot of experience in these things. So that's good. Um, So, uh, you know, we could beat this to death, but I've got a list of things and what we're going to talk about is probably, you know, is pretty thick in the numbers category and just finances in general. So I'm trying to make this where it's, you know these questions that I've got and things I wanted to talk about are relevant you, to. You better
1: drink you know, up real quick. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, I'm like, so here's the thing: like, I know it's going to be easiest, for, uh, easy for us, you and I, um, because we know each other, and you know my practice and stuff. Where we could get into the weeds and then we start talking about things that aren't real relevant to listeners. So I want to try to keep us uh, at baseline to a conversation that's kind of you know more generalized money tips with you know, people in our my sort of circumstance. So it's kind of more applicable to to our listening audience. So um so we may not get into like, you know, the really you know nitty gritty weeds of things on uh different types of like, you know, the ins and outs of some of these retirement plans and stuff. But let's so let's start here. Uh one of the things I, I wanted to ask about that is we're kind of stepping back from you know, retirement accounts and taxes and things, but just, uh, with the current state of affairs kind of in the world, you know, it's 2021, we've had COVID, we've had a pandemic, people have been locked down. There's a lot of weird things going on in the world of finance right now. We've got, you know, the stock market is in general pretty high doing well after the pullback from COVID. So you could argue that a a lot of stocks are, um, could be considered overvalued or the stock markets at you know, kind of an all time high right now. So it's tough to want to put money there. Student loans are, you know, deferred until September. The housing market's crazy. It's a bad time to buy a house because everything's just going nuts right now. Um, If somebody just called you up and said, Hey Evan, I'm a young dentist, new dentist. I just got an associateship job. Like I'm starting to make some good money. Um, What, what's a good, what do you, what's a good place to, put your money or a good bucket to put your money into in 2021 when you've got a fresh income stream and you've got some money to burn, where, where are you telling people to put their money in with, when it doesn't seem like there's an obvious answer?
1: Well, clearly you want to just dump it all in cryptocurrency right now.
0: Crypto, Bitcoin, Um, Dogecoin, exactly. (laughs) Tesla, I bought yeah as much Tesla as you can afford.
1: Exactly. Um, Uh, Doge, was it Dogecoin is our our ticket to, to wealth now?
0: Um, yeah. So, no, I mean, I'll I don't know. All those, it's, you
1: know all, and, yeah. those, all those things are interesting um, as long as the next, you know, the next best innovation doesn't come out there and make them obsolete at some point then they Yeah, or better. Elon
0: Musk tanks <laughs> them, you know, Elon gets on Saturday Night Live or something and just bombs them all. That's a problem. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah.
1: No, I think, you know, it's a good time to understand, you know, it, it, this is a year, I think what we're seeing so far in 21 in terms of the investment landscape Um you know, I, you know, obviously most of my work is with the stock market, you know, I'm, I'm helping clients build 401k portfolios and IRA portfolios and individual accounts and all, all of that um, that goes in terms of because, you know, over the long run, my experience, there's, there's always people that like certain assets, you know, some people like real estate, some people like, um, you know, other, you know, maybe, maybe things like, like crypto. And, you know, of course, anything in moderation is, is, you know, I think should be welcome to anyone's allocation if they like it and if they Mm -hmm. understand it. Um, But I think, you know, in in general, my advice will always be, you know, rather than looking at it in terms of, you know, what do I buy in the market in 2021? You want to focus on that, that, you know, it may not always be the, you know, the most exciting, the sexiest way to go. But, you know, know, looking at a well-allocated portfolio that's that's going to look good in the long run is is kind of where to go anyone can guess all the pundits will guess what the market will do in different ways um, you know what we've seen so far this year it's it's like a uh, you know 2020 was clearly the you know what what in really going back even 2019 2019 and 2020 we saw the growth stocks be the stars of the market and in particular large cap growth you know so our largest stocks you know represented by like the if you looked if you, if you could go back in time and just you know, buy one thing back, at you know, near the beginning of 2019 and hold it all the way through the end of 2020. Although if you were perfect, you'd of course sell it, you know, in like February, 2020 and buy it again in April. But, um, but anyway, if you bought something back in 2019 and held it for the last two years, it would probably be something really simple, like an S and P 500, you know, uh, you know, just fund or or a, index you know, ETF fund of some kind. Yeah, mm-hmm. index fund exactly. But you want to target that large cap, anything large cap, or particularly a large cap growth sector of the S and P five hundred or the or the Dow Jones or something. So, you know, all of those those that large cap growth index was was the star. It outperformed all the you know. There's these other smaller cap stocks and mid cap size stocks, and there's international and there's other specialty. Um, you know, all these little buckets you can you can put money in that have. Different risk, and in the, the game with most of those compared to the large stocks, typically when you're allocating a portfolio, the idea is the only reason not to be in the largest, you know, generally safest stocks, is because you're expecting more return or more reward from mid cap, and even more from small and micro, and mm-hmm. you know, and international sometimes, or international maybe the the key there is that it'll diversify from the U.S. Um, but we've seen over the last couple of years, the well allocated portfolio that that makes. You know that is the most prudent thing to be doing as an investor. You know hasn't really felt as rewarding as as just watching the large cap. You know that one area of the market kept on growing and growing. And as you said, you know it's it's not a it's not inappropriate to call it a bubble. You know the we've, we talked about for half the year mm-hmm. last year it was on a bubble. So you know what you wanted to be as an investor was kind of have your your not all your eggs in that basket, but to sort of have another foot in the other the other echelon of of stocks is typically called value. And so value stocks are stocks that you buy at a particular point in time because, you know, essentially you break it down to you think the company's worth more down the road or more today than what you're buying it at, versus how much market share they're going to grow and so forth. So you know what we've finally seen. Value's been very unrewarding the last couple of years. It's been a very unexciting uh, allocation to watch, but it's of course one that that really makes a lot of sense in the long run. So when you're looking at what we're seeing this year, what you've seen so far in the first quarter and on into you know through April and on the to May here is that you we've seen the the growth slowdown. If you look at like for instance, compare the Nasdaq. Nasdaq, had, you know, is is uh, the electronic exchange with with you know, high concentration of growth companies, all your large tech companies. Yeah, are a lot index. of tech tech companies. So mm-hmm. that's that's a good example. And that, that index was, you know, kicked everyone's butt last year. But then at, you know, you look at this year, the Nasdaq is up like, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, um, it, it was up a couple of, you know, a couple percent for the year. <laughs> so, you know, versus the S&P 500 that's balanced between those categories was up nearly 10 percent for the year. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're seeing a oh. shift back to value and what kind of typically is, you know, the the more prudent investment course. So I think it's really easy to get in the market right now because you're not having to, to do anything riskier. Right now, this is the easiest time to get in and buy a, a well-allocated portfolio. And I think 2021 so far would have rewarded you for being well-allocated between different asset sure. classes. And I think, you know, with a little luck, maybe it'll play out that way this year.
0: Right, right. Do you... Um... Do you consider as part of a, this diversified portfolio, do you look at, you know, like dividend, you know, higher dividend stocks, particularly like an ETF or a fund of, you know, like in a, in a time where we think things might be a little inflated? Do you ever encourage clients to maybe hedge their bet by having, um,
1: you yeah, know, fund absolutely. or an ETF it's, that- it's, Yeah, mm-hmm. for, for me, that's been a big thing, um, you know, going back um, for years, I've, I've used portfolios where the the value piece of our portfolio whether that be, you know, whether we're holding more value than growth at a particular time, in many cases we are, um, whether it's more balanced like we were last year to try to get some of both or um, or whether we're, we're skewing the other way. Anyway, the, the the value area, I tend to be highly concentrated in my portfolio design towards things that are dividend payers for those. Mm-hmm. You, know, you do a good job. I mean, for the reasons that you're saying, those, those are things that are, um, you know, Companies that continue to pay money and uh, to investors and and can show that they've got cash flow, um, you know, the good the thing is sometimes they can be pretty boring to watch on a year in and year out basis. But when you go back in time and mm-hmm. kind of chart how those things have done against an index like the S and P five hundred, um, you can find that that a good basket of dividend stocks can pretty easily um, do some damage there over time.
0: Sure, sure, okay. So related to this. Um, And, you know, I I consider myself a student of the stock market I've invested for quite a while, but there's still a lot to learn and a lot that I'm trying to figure out, especially now that I have an income to put money into places. But um, going back to this original question, you know, what do you do with your money in 2021? Um, We had touched on the housing market. You know, if you're somebody's kind of in my shoes where you're renting, but you, you know. young pediatric dentist, you want to get a house eventually or set up It's not a great time, you know, to invest in any sort of real estate. Um, I have been kind of looking into and recently put some money in and correct me. Is it a REIT real estate? Um, uh, was it real estate, um, investment,
1: yeah, real estate trust. investment trust. So we affectionately trust. call them REITs. <laughs> right. REITs.
0: Yes. Okay. So my understanding, and I was just going to get your thoughts, you know, cause t- t- for me, I'm thinking, you know, if, uh, I don't, have any intentions of being a landlord i can't really get into um you know i don't have any intentions of buying a property or anything like that right now and i'm not gonna buy a house but you know i feel like maybe with the way inflation is going there's a lot of talk about inflation and we've printed three trillion dollars and just pumped it out into circulation you know uh, my thought is maybe having a slice of the real estate pie is not a bad bet against that they tend to be pretty high dividend paying things do you ever um You know, consider that, or what are your thoughts on maybe instead of doing real estate directly using um, a fund of some kind, using the stock market that's heavy in uh, real estate like that, and using the stock market as that kind of vehicle as an investment?
1: Right. I mean, you know, I think in particular it probably depends on what kind of REIT you're looking at at this point. I mean, you got to think in the in the commercial properties. I think that area of real estate is going to be kind of struggling for a while. Um, you know, in in the wake of 2020, a lot of corporations. I mean, the stats I heard um, as recent as you know earlier this or in the first quarter of this year, we're still holding to where most most of corporate America was potentially going to keep maybe a third of their workforce that's currently you know, had been at home with, you know, maybe a majority of a lot of their, you know, the, the the paper pushers like myself who can sit at a desk at home, you know, most of us were at home and uh, large corporations are, are in favor of keeping, you know, a reasonable, uh, pretty reasonable swath of those employees, you know, at home permanently if they want to be, because they're finding out, you know, the feedback is that they can get work done from home. Everyone's forced to figure that out. And, and they feel like in a lot of roles, they, they can be productive they have employees that can relocate wherever they want. And and so therefore you get some happier employees. And, um, you know, so I think probably there's, uh, and, and then obviously the big one that, that we're getting at is, you know, does that mean a loss of need for real estate? You know, will offices be downsizing, especially like, you know, class A commercial buildings, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, you know, so as an investor, even though obviously like, you know, you have you you're in an occupation you've got to go into a dental office and work every day and you know everyone listening to this podcast is in that you know that realm um mm-hmm. but you know you think about how many people will still be employees at home you know for the the foreseeable future and that puts quite a quite a dent in maybe the commercial market out there and and so obviously there's been some predictions on that but um you know REITs for you know housing type REITs and and uh a lot of them will still be, and of course, obviously, if you have an, an area that if you can find a, a you know, a, basically a good investment in something that's down, you know, <laughs> the easiest thing to talk about when it comes to investing is buy low, sell high, right? But it's oftentimes right. the hardest thing we actually do, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to you buy that thing that looks worthless today, knowing that there's potential out there later. So, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. plenty of opportunity probably in, in certain areas of real estate to buy low. So that could certainly be potential there. Um, yeah, REITs are good. I think just overall, not again, it, you know, whether it's, you're looking for it as, as a 2021 play or not, um, to be overweight, I don't know. Um, but I would say that you would, you know, in the long run, a lot of portfolios have a little bit of, of real estate in, uh, you know, in those REITs, you know, it's a good way to get, like you said, it's a good way to not go, not have to go, you know, fully invested into, you know, take risk into one property or just a couple properties. If you're looking at a, you know, at least a down payment and having to worry about cash flow and all that. Instead, it's just right, a fund. Right. So, work. The mm-hmm.
0: Is there anything else you know? In inflation, I don't know if any of your clients have brought this up as a concern, but you know, do you have any uh, any other things come to mind to hedge against you know inflation, which seems to be creeping up and things are going to get more expensive and it's going to be hard to keep that value of a dollar where it's at? So, you know, do you do you tend to steer clients back towards? you know, making the right decisions with investments in the stock market? Or are there any other, um, well, you know, which I know you said is kind of your primary part of thing, whole, but any other, any yeah,
1: other part of, part of the inflation story this year is, you know, it, it's obviously, a, you know, it's, it's the big story in the financial media. And, um, you know, it's gotten talked about quite a bit, particularly, you know, March was a little bit of a bump and then April had a big bump in inflation. Um, but again, you know, in the long run, I think that there's, um, anyone who's, who's really scared of, of inflation um, there was a there was a, a good article last week I think it was in, in Forbes talking about all the reasons why inflation is usually short-lived and not nearly the, the catastrophe that, that gets predicted. I mean inflation gets talked about I mean go back to the financial crisis in 2008 and and thereafter as soon as there's stimulus there's always talk of inflation and um, you know the reality of it is though mm. is that the US economy, um, you know, it's just a, a really, really slow moving, mature beast at this point. <laughs> and it, it, it would be still unlikely to see, you know, I certainly would caution anyone to make moves that they think are, are, you know, to try to be fearful of something like hyperinflation or, you know, anything like that. I mean, that just, that hasn't existed in the, you know, in the developed world in, in like a hundred years, but, you know, what we need to do is, you know, focus on again, building, of, uh, you know, staying well allocated, things like REITs, um, you know, hey, even things like cryptocurrency that I was making fun of earlier in small, moderate amounts can can make sense. Um, you want to be mm-hmm. able, working with somebody, that, you know, in designing, if you're not doing all the research yourself, you know, work with someone who can help you design portfolios that have a little bit of, of the things that, that you know, you have a story behind this year. Um, there's there's also, you know, there are bond funds that will look at inflation adjust, adjusted securities, um, so like inflation protected, so that can be one thing you get into if you're you know, on the bond side and, and fixed income. Um, but I would also caution anyone to be jumping too much on the inflation train at this point. You know, we, we have so much when, when the stimulus was announced back in December and then more came this year after the, the new president got, got sworn in and started making, you know, proposing new things. And so, you know, once we have, you know, this, this, Stimulus hitting the market this year—it's—it's it's expected you're going to have some bumps in inflation. You're going to have some moments where it, where it's going to, you know, we're going to see spikes in inflation momentarily, monthly numbers. Um, but yet, we still may not see. Um, you know, I could be wrong, but it still seems like we could be a year out from now. We could be looking and saying, "Wow, things didn't really change that much inflation-wise on the annual basis." So, sure, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sure, be too big on inflation fighting at this point.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's good to know. And that's some some good information. Evan, I'm going to sh- switch gears here a little bit because we could nerd out on stock market stuff and put everybody to sleep. Sure. Um, uh, student loans, you know, you and I had this long talk the other day yeah. because, um, you know, right now, and pretty much everybody's going to be listening to this is going to probably have some degree of student loans. And especially if you're, you know, a pediatric dentist or oral surgeon or one of the specialists, you know, you're, you've just compounded that large student loan amount for another couple of years while specializing. And, um, you know, it's nice in theory that as we know, the federal, um, student loans, federal student loans are kind of on deferral for the time being, at least until September is my knowledge, unless they've changed that. Is that still right? September.
1: Yeah. September to my knowledge too. That's September. That's, yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, you know, I, when you and I had our quarterly meeting a while ago, I kind of told you my new goal is to try to pay off all my student loans by the end of the summer. Um, obviously being pediatric dentist, the summers our busy time. So, um, my thought is it's more so not out of like financial sense as much as it is. I'm just, uh, uh, ornery and I don't want to give the federal government any more of my interest money than I have to. And I just kind of want this, the psychological perks of knowing that I'm, I have my student loans paid off, but I I have about 150 grand, or I started with that, and my goal is by the end of the summer to have it paid off, which um, is nice because it's all going towards principal. But um, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were with the current state of affairs, with you know student loans being on deferral. Is now a good time to pay them off? Um, Does it depend on interest rates? You know, uh, you know private versus federal? Or would you encourage most, you know, say an associate pediatric dentist making a couple hundred, two to $300,000 a year, has some cash, you know, are we throwing it at student loans and trying to knock that down if we're at five to six to six and a half, seven percent? Or are you feeling good about some of the returns maybe on some value stocks or do we split it appropriately? You know, what, what are your thoughts on the student loans right now?
1: It always seems like such a simple topic doesn't it you know student loans but it's, it's so it's, not, interest it's so rate, not. if you can mm. yeah if you're paying too much interest you want to get paid off right but it's it can right. be such a central piece to most financial plans that there's just no right or you know there, there I didn't think there are some wrong answers probably depending on the situation but there's there's a I was gonna say there's there's many right ways to attack it and uh, you know it's one of those things where and I think I you know, the first time we got together and, and started working on a financial plan with you, I think I, you know, definitely made it clear that that I favor not necessarily paying down debt as quickly as possible, if we have better opportunity. Um, what your, are you know, so you, you may not, you may be cringing hearing that. But, you know, I know you part of your plan, of course, just to be clear, you know, part of your plan and paying it down, this year is you have some extra cash to play with, you know, right, and uh, right. you know, I think I think that's oftentimes something we look at doing when we have some surplus in the in the cash flow, you know. That's that's always been, and, and I've looked at with with clients that have wanted to pay down student debt faster um, or pay off mortgages faster, things like that, where they really you know didn't like the debt, and wanted to get rid of it. Usually, uh, my advice is. To simplify it quite a bit here, my, my advice is usually, well, let's see when we can start getting ahead and when you can show that you've got some extra cash flow that is above and beyond what you really need to put away each year to make your savings plan and your ultimate, you know, your financial goals, other than getting debt paid down, what you know, to make all those other things happen for you as as scheduled. Mm-hmm. Then I think you've got some some cash to work with there, and if if it is fulfilling to get the debt paid down quickly, um, or you think, hey, I can make more money in the market, getting that done, you know, if, if you know, like you said, I mean, six percent with a lot of student loans, um, you know, so that's that's you know, obviously some serious interest there, and you know, you you do want to consider whether or not you are, you know, if you're not going to pay those down, you want to make sure, are you doing something with your money that's going to that's going to better that return so that it makes sense to to keep that debt out there. Um, but a lot of times there is opportunity. And so with each, with each client, I have to, you know, kind of attack the plan a little differently. So a lot of times I'm, sometimes I'm looking at someone who is, if someone is meeting their savings goal. So if you're talking to that person that you described, if, if they're carving out their taxes and their, the spending to the lifestyle they want to, they want to achieve this year and their savings plan that is going to get them, hopefully they, they've played with the numbers and figured out what they need to save over, you know, however many years they want to work for and get them to that ultimate goal where they've got, they can reach financial freedom or retirement. I, I like to call it financial freedom because, you know, a lot of dentists will probably get that, you know, my clients will get there, you know, at a point where they're financially free, but they'll probably still be working in some way. So anyway, we'll say if you can get to your, your goal of financial freedom, whenever it is that you you want that to happen, then I would say that, that, you have some extra, if you still have extra cash that could be spent either, you know, you have a couple of decisions to make. You can look at, I think there's always, you know, whether we're talking about you have extra money that in savings that could go in excess of what you need to save this year, or whether or not your return, you know, overachieved what your annual you know expected savings rate is. So in any case, you've got surplus to work with. And so that extra surplus can do, you know, there's a, a you know, there's like pretty much like, you know, just a few things you can do with that in your financial plan. You can either translate that into, I can reach financial freedom a little bit sooner, whether it's a few months sooner or whether it's a few years sooner, depending on how much surplus we're talking about. If you put that into the savings plan, Um, it also means you can, you know, you could maybe save, you could still target the same retirement date, but you could stop saving it at an earlier point, so that's been important to recognize. That's two different things, you know. You could mm-hmm. you could be planning to work, you know, until you're financially free for thirty years, but you might only be planning to actually save for twenty or twenty five years. You know, big difference there because that last several years, you're sort of halfway to, to being financially free, right? You can you you finally can slow down. and You won't have to worry about that savings piece. So and, unless let's risk talk too, about if you were that. Yeah, yeah. So let's
0: talk about that because I've had a bit of a philosophical, excuse me, philosophical shift on this topic. So that's I'm glad you brought this yeah. up. But you know, getting to the point where you're financially free and you know you can go to work because you want to, not because you have to. And I think this is really applicable to pediatric dentists. Um, just knowing that we don't really have the easiest job in the world, and um, you know, it's it's something that's hard to do for forty years, right? And I've I've had a bit of a, as you know, like a a change in mentality, especially after my dad passed away really young from this whole cancer thing, and uh, you know, it's kind of made me realize, you know, you you want to try to get to that financial freedom point as fast as possible, and then if you want to work past that point, I think it's it's a really cool place to be at, and I look forward to that day because I know that work is going to feel different when you don't have to show up every day. Um, but there's also a lot of benefits to, you know, like if you want to retire at 50 years old, that's great. But you might have another 50 years. You got to work off of that. Um, you know, you got to live off of that nest egg that you have. But you know, you can speak to this here. But you know, I feel like if maybe you get to 50 and you're financially free, but maybe you get an associate in your practice and you cut down to two or three days a week. You know, it's enough to keep you busy. You're going to work not because you have to, be because you want to. You can slow your schedule down. But from a tax implication you know I mean um, you know that money you're making you're not going to be making as much so you're at a lower tax bracket you're not out spending all day like you you don't have to keep your disability insurance up and potentially your life insurance if you don't want to it just seems like there's a lot of benefits to extending your working career extra years not because you need to but because you don't mind doing it and you have fun doing it so I look forward to getting to that point in time but um, you know I don't know if I if I, uh, if there's anything you would add to that, or if I explain that accurately, but that's a, a day that I look forward to getting to, you know, 20 some years from
1: now or whatever. Well, right. And it's, uh, you know, and I think your, your point is that if you plan on doing a little bit more damage to your savings plan in the meantime, you know, the, the, we always look at, I, I've, I oftentimes, I think I probably showed you a, you know, the difference in, in being able to, um, you know what what the last maybe 5 years 3 to 5 years of of your your work life will do for your savings projection even if you stop saving at that point just letting right. your your assets at that point because you're now at the peak of of your asset savings and so letting that money grow in the market a few more years you know it's also the reason i say don't be too afraid you know and of course we have to manage client expectations with with how we invest as you get towards that age and time because you know, you, you certainly don't want someone to be who's fearful of of losing ground and you know with the stock market decline and, and you know timed perfectly at their retirement date or something. You know, the uh, you have to have some time to work around that. But at the same time, I always try to explain to everybody that you know, staying the course and investing the way you always have to a certain extent is is really. Kind of keeping the eye on the ball at that stage because you know you can if the market even has a has a major decline you know statistically it's usually back I mean in 2020 it was back really quick but in most years typically it's still not that bad and in, in a typical market down year you're you're going to be back to where you were you know at most in, in 18 months or so is, is typically the average from those those big drops so you know even someone who's out there that's really close to retirement if if it's uh you know if they have kind of hit that date and then had a really bad market you know, return a year right when they were trying to go into retirement, they, they don't feel real good about it at that point. You know, probably it's not a matter of worrying about saving too much more at this point. If they've done a good job of that, they met all their savings goals in, earlier on. If it was truly a last second decline that kind of put fear in their retirement, they they probably just need to, you know, work part time and just, you know, delay retirement, you know, another one to two mm-hmm. years and lots their money recover and they'll be right where they thought they would be. So you might lose a little time, but, um, you know, it's it's pretty good. That, but the the idea of you know, I guess I was saying earlier. You know, you can you can do more damage today. Every 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 dollar you save today is worth more than the dollar you save the year after, and even more than the dollar you save two years from now, etc. So, you know, the the more you can front load those savings plans, the the more in control you'll be one day when that grows and you know so that's why yeah. I i think you know going back to debt whether you're talking about practice loans or whether you're talking about which practice loans aren't too big of a discussion right now because they're such they're you know historic lows so pretty low. much here now. Three yeah. percent so, so that's yeah, great things for, for, for us. Um but you know the you know at the same time when you're looking at you know other things that have inflated like housing prices, which we, you know we don't know if those will stay where they are or not. Um but you know I think the this this you know sort of inflation in several areas that, you know, there's a lot of factors with that and everything. But I think, you know, if you can find a way to, you know, still carve out the savings and and again, target, you know, not only the, not only be thinking in terms of your long-term planning of when do I want to be financially free and make that at a reasonable time, but also like, why don't I try to try to be done saving, even if I, if I have to let my money mature and keep growing for several more years try to target a period of time when you're done saving even earlier than that day. You want to be financially free. So that'll force you to save a little bit more now. And if like you, you pointed out some things, you know, if you, you know, as a, as a dentist and and pediatric dentists are certainly in that group where, you know, necks and backs and hands and wrists and everything, you know, can, can wear out. Unfortunately, it's a physical job. So, you know, it's the biggest, you know, they always, the insurance guys will tell you right away, you know, it's the the biggest danger you face, not, not so much, you know, death in your case, it's going to be disability and keeping from making a living. So, you know, right.
0: Right. And, um, and it's, it seems like, you know, I think what people have a problem with now in, you know, thinking in terms of a 30 year old getting out, it seems like, we're focusing, you and I, our conversation here on the back end of things, you know, oh, if you you know if we can work an extra five years or something, look at what this does in our savings plan when we run the numbers on our spreadsheet, you know, we're going to have this much extra money in retirement because we're working and not, you know, instead of spending, you know, $5,000 a week, we're bringing in $10,000, whatever the case might be. But we haven't really focused on the front end. And I think that's where it's hard is, you know, um, trying to get young professionals to Make the right decisions on the front end with actually saving and putting away that money from the get go. Cause it's hard, you know, like you're a 28 year old Casey Getz who's coming out of PETO residency and, you know, you wanna start a practice, you're trying to get an associateship, you're moving, there's a lot of these big life decisions. You know, the last thing you're really thinking about is, you know, what should my 401k look like? Or have I maxed out my Roth this year? You're thinking, you know, am I, you know, am I gonna, how am I gonna tackle these student loans? What's my, what percentage of production am I going to be reimbursed at? And, you know, what kind of house can I afford? You know, should I lease or buy a car? You're making all these other decisions. And it seems like just straight up saving money and, uh, you know, thinking about retirement and your financial freedom date just tends to get put on the back burner. And it just seems like it's easy to do now. And so, you know, it's, but, you know, how do you motivate somebody when there's all these other things, you know, all these, uh, what do you say? You know, there's, there's a lot of uses for money at this Point in time, you know, when you're a young working professional. So it's hard to do, but I think it's an important point to drive ac- across that, you know, a dollar saved now is worth $7 later. And that's why every time my wife buys something on Amazon, I, I get pissed and I, I yell at her. I'm like, you know, you're buying one set of jeans or a white puffy vest now, like you could buy like seven of those in 20 years from now or something. And then she gets mad at me, but it's fine.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. it's the it's the big daunting financial planning equation. I always call it. You know, it's you've got a certain amount of cash flow, and you can uh, you can decide to obviously you may have debt that has to be serviced, but you uh, you know, or you have past purchases you got to pay off in your credit card or whatever. But you um, you know, there's always a certain amount of money that can be spent or saved, and and it's it's always a you know, and and then the rest can go to pay off debt in some cases. So if there's surplus there, even so, but, you know, I think it's the, you know, and, and, and again, like you, you touched on when you're, you're first in, this, especially, you know, someone like yourself, you know, you start a practice up and, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of, you know, right out of the gate, you're sort of feeling like you're in survival mode. Right. <laughs> so, right, you know, it's, it, it, it seems like a luxury to be thinking about financial planning for yourself at that point, but, but really the financial planning process has to start, you know, way back when you get that you know, when you're in the mindset of getting that practice started or purchasing a practice and it's making sure that you're making, you know, sense of all of the, the, the tax benefits that a, a startup practice or a practice purchaser, um, or even a new, you know, when we're talking about somebody who's a, a new associate and in, in a, in a practice, and maybe you're not going to own a practice, um, for a couple of years, um, and maybe not ever, but, uh, whatever, depending on what your goals are, but, you know, even an associate, there's, there's a, you know, a lot of tax planning that can be done for somebody about you know trying to figure out how do we structure pay in a contract with somebody there's there's benefits to being you know a contractor in an S corp of your own even if you're just a you know an associate in a practice and don't own own the practice and and some other things that you can do so you know, those things can create some opportunity. It's just, you want to look at every facet of it. You know, there's, there's things, there's ways to look at your practice and make sure, you know, for instance, like when we talk about almost everybody, once they, you know, to be honest, you know, let's, let's, let's be real here. You know, when, when somebody goes mm. and wants to start now, you were referred to me in early on. So, you know, I've, I've known you since you were looking at this practice. Right. <laughs> but, right. But in a lot of cases I get introduced to somebody because, they've gone and talked to the bank about buying a practice or starting up a practice. And then they've gone to their attorney and talked about getting into the bank says, well, what about your legal entity? And they go, Oh, okay. And then they go to an attorney and, you know, they learn what the attorney can do for them and get an entity started. And the attorney says, well, Hey, what does your CPA think about, you know, making what kind of entity do they recommend? And do they want you to be, you know, like make an S corp election and some of the other tax things that you have to decide on, and, uh, so that's when it's kind of the call that everyone dreads making to the CPA, right? <laughs> that, you know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'm gonna tax returns probably, and, you know, these things. And so, you know, but, but that's where there's so much value in, in understanding, you know, making sure you find somebody that can help you with, you know, the decisions you make in the setup phase and making sure that, you know, someone who understands dentistry can help you a little bit and making sure you're not overbuying and over, you know, over purchasing a practice make sure the practice cash flows and will do the things you needed to do to meet your needs and and all of that so you know evaluating the practice you know number one if you're buying a, an existing practice if you're a startup like like yourself you know it's evaluating that again hey is this is this the area you know i've seen that the pediatric dental practices have been wildly successful when choosing the right area to start up you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you're one that got that right for sure and And, uh, you know, I I won't take any credit for that, but, you know, it's, again, it's looking at, Hey, if, if things start to work out quickly and, and they are for you, you know, then you have to figure out, you know, Hey, this is, you know, what do I do with this? Can I, do I, you know, how much should be reinvested in the practice every year? Well, we have to look at all the economics of that and figure out, you know, what's your return on that. You know, it's, it's really, uh you know, it's, it's nerdy number stuff, but we, we have to do it. And and every step of the way, whether you're drilling down but you know, mining the practice for more efficiency somewhere um, or finding ways, you know, a lot of people don't realize, you know, until you, you know, some people have, have, you know, given their stuff to a tax preparer and had returns done and maybe never asked all the questions um, or somebody that's not from, if the tax preparer is not familiar with dentistry, for instance, there may not be um, maybe, maybe a few things that I would do differently too, that might be really helpful in the long run. So um, so yeah, I mean it's it's really just understanding the situation. Can we make some do some things with the tax return reporting and tax elections that you have to make every year on on different aspects that go into your tax return? That you know whether you know it or not, you're making elections on those returns. So mm-hmm. make sure that those are explained to you and you know that you understand you know what the implications are. Sometimes assumptions right. can get made.
0: Sure. So yeah. if you're if you're evaluating, then you've been doing this for twenty some years. You know you've got clients like me who are on the younger side of things, and then you obviously have quite a few dentists and hopefully enough pediatric dentists for this sample size for this question I'm going to ask. But, you know, if you kind of took an in-depth look at the pediatric dentists you have that are, um, you know, older, established, that they're in that kind of twilight, you know, uh, retirement phase where they're financially free and, uh, you know, kind of on the way out, if you will. Um, You know, I'm just curious what your take is on the ones that tend to you know retire you know kind of with the the highest net worth or tend to do the best i'm just curious kind of what qualities you tend to see you know if there's if there's trends i would assume you know practice ownership being a big one but in terms of savings rates um certain financial decisions they make certain ways that things that they do with their money um ways that they exit the practice or sell out uh, you know, wh- what qualities or uh, decision decisions uh, being made do you see with pediatric dentists that tend to be, uh, you know, kind of close that last chapter and, you know, have a really high net worth and do really well at the end of the day? What qualities are you looking at
1: there? Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, so much focus is made on, especially as people get to that stage where you're, you're considering selling and, you know, kind of winding down and, um, you know, there's obviously some are in a position where you know I'll tell you what if you're waiting for your practice sale and transition in the end to be the thing that makes you financially free, I would bet you haven't saved enough for retirement unfortunately that's yeah. probably you know <laughs> very real in a lot of cases if if that's when you start your financial planning it's you're probably going to struggle in retirement to to live the way you want to unless you're very frugal but you know the mm. uh, you know I think that as much as that's you know it's considered like most I would imagine most dentists would you know, most that I've worked with, certainly that would be their one single, you know, greatest asset, right? And and you know, you may retire and sell a practice, you know, for a seven-figure number, even, but you know, that that will not necessarily be the biggest chunk of your your savings. And in some cases, compared to what you would have saved over the years, if you have a practice that that is gonna sell for a reasonable amount, you've probably also been successful and done enough to save that where that's probably gonna be you know, less of the picture. It's almost going to be gravy in terms of what you have going into retirement. Um, maybe something that'll, you know, buy you that vacation home on the other side of the country where your kids now live or something. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing something you've always wanted to do. Um, but I, and I encourage a lot of my clients, as, as you know, we've talked about it to, you know, especially in the early years until it becomes more in play, you know, when you're you're in that phase of it's the last five or 10 years and and we've got an associate to buy you out and we know kind of the plan for that and we know that it's it's in motion, then I think it's pretty safe to start including that practice sale in your 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 debt planning, you know, in terms of how much money sure. you have available. And, and, you know, but before that, I like to sort of ignore it. I think it's, a, you know, it's something that... Kind of a cherry on
0: top, sort of, you know. You know
1: almost everybody, believe it or not, can just come up with something else they'd like to spend that money on if it's not needed for the retirement projection at, at retirement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... i will share with you my my number one i think it's just one thing that's really important that i see is the commonality doesn't matter whether you're this applies to pediatric dentists it applies to general dentists it applies to endodontists periodontists orthodontists oral surgeons you get the point this the one characteristic i see that's most common among the highly successful at least you know in terms of Successful practices, monetarily successful, can save whatever they need to to always meet their financial planning needs. It tends to be happy and enjoying, happy with life and enjoying their practice. Um, I can tell somebody who doesn't who doesn't like practicing, um, who or who is burned out, and a lot of time that comes that that comes from the pressure when you haven't saved and taken steps early on and you're catching up. Um, you know, there's, there there can be it can be very visible with some, and it's unfortunate. You know, that they you might feel that pressure in your later years to. To make make things happen and and uh, you know try to fill in the gap the savings gap there so um, but but I think those that that you know I can tell the ones that are really enjoying practicing every year year in and year out I mean we all have our moments right but there's um, those who are generally um, pick the right profession to be in and they enjoy getting up in the morning and doing it I think they find no trouble in setting aside some of their their profits to to build for their future um, I, I I think that it tends to be Often overlooked thing with with people who, you know, get into spending trouble and things like that, and you know, um, I think I think it tends to be that they're, um, you know, it, it's kind of an emotional, you know, sense of like unhappy with a lot of things. So, you know, anyway, I think I think that someone who enjoys practicing has a really good shot. So make sure you're in this profession because you're good at it and like it. <laughs> I guess that would be my I mean,
0: yeah. My no, idea. I think that's really sound. It seems like. Really sound advice because it's. I, I want to do an episode eventually on burnout, which I always thought was kind of a taboo topic. But you know, I currently am working five days a week and I put in a lot of hours at this practice, which I I think is makes more sense the first year or two, just to kind of earn your stripes and get at your feet under you and get you know um, build the base of your pyramid, if you will. But Um, I could see if you did that forever, how the burnout could be a very real thing. And I have met just exactly to your point. Um, I can think of at least three pediatric dentists that, you know, just went all out and went crazy and saw 70 patients a day and didn't take any breaks and made tons and tons of money, but they only had peak earning years for, you know, 10 to maybe 15 years. And then they just fizzled out, couldn't do it anymore and sold out real early, And now they're, you know, I just they weren't happy, and I'm not sure they're in a great place now as we speak, you know, because and then you're back to what we had said before, where you've got 50 or 60 years, you well, not that long, but you got a long time. You could be alive, living off that money, and just didn't have a fulfilling career. So I think there's certainly a lot of truth in what you just said, for sure. It's a good answer. Um, And you know what's interesting here? So I'm just looking at my notes. We're going to have to do a, like a round two podcast sometime, Evan, because you know, I, I'm glad we hit the topics we did, but I still had a whole section kind of specifically addressing like setting up retirement plans in a pediatric dentistry office. But as you and I know, like we could make that, uh, freaking write books on that. That's a huge conversation in and of itself. And I don't want to do it um, a disservice by trying to blaze through it. So I'm kind of thinking... If it's cool with you, uh, you know, we can kind of wrap up over the next few minutes and we might have to do a round two sometime where we just focus on retirement plans because that's a big topic, I think.
1: Yeah, round two sounds good. And I'll have like two beers ready for that one.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a good one for sure. Uh, Do you mind um, give everybody kind of a shout out of if anybody's listening and wants to pick your brain on some financial topics or has some tax questions or kind of wants to get in touch with you? What's a good way to contact you?
1: Yeah, best thing to do is shoot me an email, um, Evan E V A N at edkadvisory.com. Um, or check out my website, same address, edkadvisory.com. And uh, you know, shoot me a message there too. Either way.
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, hey, I uh, appreciate you coming on and you know, I think we we hit on some good topics that you know most of my podcasts are you know, either clinical based or we talk practice management stuff, startup. So it's nice to, you know, I think it's important to include some of these financial planning and what do we do with our money to make the most sense? Because as you said, pediatric dentists, I feel like we work hard, even though I I love what I do and it's a fun job. There's, you know, it's, uh, you got to make these smart financial decisions. And I think it's, uh, it's important to have these conversations because money, talking about money has always been a bit of a taboo topic, but that's maybe why so many people are in shitty financial financial situation. So maybe if we just get together as a a group more and talk about it, you know, we can kind of collaborate and not make some of these mistakes and we all fix teeth longer and live happier lives and, you know, hit that financial freedom goal. So I think these are important conversations to have. So once again, appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing some of your knowledge with me. Anytime. Cool. All right, Evan. Well, hey, have a good night and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay.
1: All right. Talk to you Casey. Thanks.
0: All right. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Thanks for listening to bruise and tiny teeth. The best way to say thank you is by telling your friends so we can grow the podcast. So be sure to share and leave a review. Thanks. And we'll see you again next week.